welcome to a new episode of Nothing New, a remake podcast. On my side of the village, I am host Justin Kizan of the Kizan clan, and I don't particularly like the other side of the village, who has... I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Uh, I'm just a, a simple man who is named um, Podcast Laptop 30-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, podcast I mean, laptop thirty. I can't. I, I can't do this. This is this is too ridiculous. <laughs> um, on today's episode of Nothing New, we are actually going to be tackling kind of one of the the most famous, well-known remakes, but kind of funny because one technically may not actually be quite the remake the way you think it is legality wise <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but nonetheless um it's two very iconic films with two very iconic leads directed by two very iconic directors we of course yeah. are going to be talking about yojimbo from 1961 and fistful of dollars from 1964 Wow, this is a, this is a <laughs> yeah, this is a big one. Yeah, yeah, huge. Um, I'm really I'm really I'll... feeling it this time. <laughs> right, right. No, this is one of those where I almost feel like you and me like we. Ha- this is one of those just this is one of those where it's like we had this in the back pocket to eventually do, and like didn't want to pull the trigger on it yet, but we did feel like now's the time to finally finally dive into this one and yeah i'm excited like <laughs> this is definitely one of those yeah. where i'm actually really looking forward to like oh i'm looking forward to, to doing this episode truthfully you know and yeah and i do think this is one of the more um well i think we'll get into some of it when we talk about fistful of dollars but this is mm-hmm. i think one of the more classic remakes that people don't realize and then once they do it kind of opens up a whole new world of cinema to them yes you know where yes where people will start with the film that we'll be talking about in the second half and when they realize there was a film that it is more or less based on they go oh well now i gotta watch that (laughs) it's just like uh it's a really (laughs) it's a really interesting kind of experience that i feel like like a lot of this is how a lot of people come to Yojimbo is through Fistful of Dollars, and um, mm-hmm. I I think that is basically how I came to it. Uh, mm. How about you, Justin? How did you uh, come to know about uh, Yojimbo? Um, so believe it or not, um, it's almost like I kind of I, I guess I should. It's kind of like connected to our Patreon episode, hmm. hilariously enough. Um, without spoiling our Patreon episode quite yet, um, I will say that I saw the trailer to our Patreon episode in which my brother saw me watching the trailer and went, that's just a remake of Yojimbo. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I'll put more thoughts on that in our Patreon, but that is the first time I've heard of the film yojimbo um wow. but uh, 
uh, and we'll get to fistful of dollars later, but because I almost feel like knowing one doesn't equate to immediately knowing the other. Um, yeah. Like you pointed out, like people will most likely definitely know fistful of dollars before they know about Yojimbo. And I definitely was one of those folks, but I also did not know the connection between the two until I found out about <laughs> my brother pointing out to me that the trailer of the movie that's our page right episode uh, is a remake of Yojimbo, which I was like, what's you <laughs> like, what's Yojimbo? Um, <laughs> um, that's really funny. It's, it's very, it's, it's very hard to, to, to talk about Yojimbo when obviously without bringing up, Akira Kurosawa himself. Uh, oh, of course. <laughs> no, obviously. Um, if you start diving into cinema and movies and you start getting really into, like, now, you, you know, you, like Andrew points out, you start you start testing yourself into, like, trying out other genres um, and other countries' films. Yeah, uh, Kurosawa is one of those where I almost feel like his output is so influential to movies in general um it's kind of hard to pinpoint him down to just one particular film because he's made several iconic films and um yojimbo is absolutely by far his one of his most famous films and like yeah obviously you know seven samurai and then you're probably gonna probably know ikuru or you're gonna know high and low but um Rashomon, you know <laughs> for sure mm-hmm. Um, but Yojimbo is, is, is high up there as well. Um, just curious, Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw the film before we did this episode? Oh my goodness. It, I mean, it was very early in my journey as a, uh, film fanatic, uh, <laughs> like over, <laughs> over 15 years ago, probably. And I mm-hmm. loved it immediately. I really like something you know sometimes you know you think of like there are movies that you watch and you're like oh i don't know if i'll ever think about it again and there's movies that you watch and you're like i'm gonna watch this a lot more times in my life i'm gonna find out (laughs) new things every time that i watch it i like pretty much every part of this movie like it's one of those movies yeah yeah no um same i uh actually do remember like i was in community college my first year at community college and then I learned about um, there was a rental. There was like a you know you check out movies at the school, and mm-hmm. I started diving into finally the works of Akira Kurosawa. And I remember waiting for Yojimbo to be last. You know, mm. <laughs> I wanted to like mm, I'm saving this one for last because uh, I f- had a feeling that I was gonna really connect to it. Um, and when I finally got to it, you know, the answer was like, of course I was going to connect to it. <laughs> you know, I was like, of course I love this movie. Um, oh my goodness. I guess let's just kind of go ahead and just start like the film. And we're not going to, you know, like, well, okay. you know, like... let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Tashira Mifune because, uh, <laughs> if it, I mean, he's, uh, he, as, as much as, you know, iconic as Akira Kurosawa is, so is Toshira. Because he, Absolutely. I mean, not only did Kurosawa use him over and over again to great effect, you know, but he he just is so good. Yeah. Uh, as an yeah. actor. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, 
he's got a great look. He knows exactly, mm-hmm. you know, what to do in this kind of movie where, you know, instead of being stoic, he's having fun. Like this character is yeah. is enjoying himself in a in a in a lot of strange ways, but it makes for such an interesting character. It is if you look at like Mifuni's other work with Kurosawa, he's insanely like versatile. And it's kind of amazing when you get to your Jimbo that this is kind of becomes his most iconic role, which is hilarious to me because a lot of his roles would in other Kurosawa films are just as iconic as this one. But I almost feel like this is the one when people think of Mifune, they think of you know, of, of the character in, in your Jimbo and, um, obviously, it's such a influence, along with obviously like other movies where he was in a samurai or samurai like characters, uh, uh, like uh, like Hidden Fortress and and um, and of course um, Seven Samurai. That mm-hmm. when Lucas offered a Star Wars role to Mifune back in you know right when he was developing Star Wars, and there's so much Akurasawa in Star Wars, it it, mm-hmm. it does make sense to me that. George Lucas, as a as a nerd, as a film nerd, would go. I'm just gonna try. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna ask Mufuni to try to be in it, and he did turn it down. Um, and I always wonder about that alternate universe where he he didn't. <laughs> like I'm always curious about that. Like that'd be like cool. He, yeah. <laughs> like I, I apparently I'm not sure how how correct this is in terms of Wikipedia, but. Apparently, Wikipedia says that like he Lucas offered him both Vader and Kenobi. I definitely know about Kenobi, and mm-hmm. I, I I I I dream of what that would have been like. And nothing against obviously Alec Guinness because obviously Alec Guinness is amazing, but I I dream about what Mufuni as Kenobi would have been. You know, I, I believe the um, the story itself comes from his daughter. So yes. Uh, you, I mean, whether or not sh- how much she knew or what the, you know, how close he was to actually getting it or accepting it, you know, we have to yeah. take her word for it. But it's definitely, right. yeah, definitely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when you look at this film, you can kind of see like, oh, yeah, I could see like, duh. Yeah, you can see where Lucas took the inspiration and turned like this world into something that we would know fairly well with star wars um and that's the last time i'm going to mention star wars we're going to talk about now just you jimbo um <laughs> <laughs> um here's the thing like the one of the great things of I, I love personally about this movie is just it's very just kind of the the energy it's the 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 the, the uh the energy and like the attitude it starts with you just see the back of his head as he's walking down and then you get that uh, amazing score um, mm-hmm. from Masaharu Sato that just this is this is the vibe this is the tone um, <laughs> um, the, the again, music I, I I'm so like taken aback like it's so good every time yeah. that I I watch the movie I get it stuck in my head it's like catchy mm-hmm. it fits it's it's weirdly um, like modern for the time it's kind of jazzy you yeah. know but it, yeah but yeah. it also fits it fits the weird i mean this is supposed to be set during the the Edo period mm-hmm. uh so it's kind of like not it shouldn't sound modern but it 
fits so well. So well. Really perfect. Um, I think here's the thing. I remember, like, um, for film school, uh, we we watched, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. And my, my film school teacher goes, like, nothing really tells you the tone of the world than seeing a dog with a, with a, with a hand, person's hand in his mouth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing really tells you more than go, hey, you should probably leave. <laughs> you should probably not be here for a bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, the also the, the, the beginning, where there's like a lot of information, <laughs> kind of. There's, mm -hmm. um, we, we see um, Sanjuro is the name that he gives later. We see Sanjuro, yeah. he throws a stick in the air, and where it points when it lands is where he goes. Right. So it's kind Love of that. he like instantly it's like, OK, he is aimless like he he's yeah. going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Whether or not, you know, we don't really find out a lot about his like backstory, whether or not. I mean, he doesn't need one because what we see play out is perfect without any more information. Right. Uh, but then, you know, he's aimless. Then he mm -hmm. comes across a little family drama that's happening. Yeah. You know, and he kind of he takes it in, but he's like, OK, I'm just going to keep moving. Then the mm -hmm. dog with the hand. And he, again, he's not scared of it. He's like, OK, I'm just going to keep going to this town and see what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> like there's there, it's it's really interesting to think like that's how it starts. And then I think because what most people think of with Yojimbo is it's, you know, oh, I mean, like it's the most basic plot summary that people will say is like oh yeah it's a guy and he's playing two two gangs off of each other uh to 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 beat them or whatever yeah uh, and that's kind of what echoes through all of the films that um you know mimic the plot of yojimbo mm -hmm. but i think that's yeah. that's what makes yojimbo so special is that it's it is a lot more than that <laughs> um no it, it's it's um I think the, the greatest thing about that plot is that it sounds really simple, right? And but mm -hmm. yeah, I think what's what kind of gets to the core of it is really like just um, it's it is it's it is you know I will refer to him as the name he gives the other gangster, but yeah, Sanjuro, like you said, and like it is interesting to see he's 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 a very interesting observer of this world, you know that and. I love I love the way he kind of just susses things out, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> just entering a room, entering a, a, a town. He, he, his whole deal is just kind of looking things around and going like, OK, 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 I got it. <laughs> and he decides how he wants and he and he decides how he wants to play the situation that he's in. Um, so. It's funny because we're gonna have to talk about several characters on on repeat because they do kind of tend to come back. <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in ter not in terms of this movie per se, but in terms of uh, how they return in in the other film. So of course we we do have um, Gonji, who's the the tavern owner. Um, he's kind of almost like Mister Infodump when he when when the Sanjiro shows up. He's like. Mm -hmm. I'm here to be, he's there to basically go like, we have one gangster here. We have another gangsters here. They hate each other. It sucks here. Everyone dies. You should probably leave. <laughs> you know? um, and he's played by uh, Ichiro Tono, 
Um, uh, there's also, and I can't find the name of this actor, but there's also the, essentially kind of the, was it the cop? No, am I mixing it up? Was there a coffin? There was a coffin maker here too, yeah? Um, yes. Um, he has a very small role. He's mostly the bell ringer. The town constable, yeah. Hensuke, played by Ikkyo Sawamura. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, yeah, he's basically the bell ringer. He rings the bell when they want him to. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, and then, and there is a the coffin maker. Um, yes. Who's, who's, that's just, that's, just, that's just who he's called. He's just a coffin maker, and he's played by uh, Atsushi Watanabe. Um, uh, and I can, uh, again, there's, there's the leader of one gangster, at least, like, I, 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 we, yo, <laughs> um, it's a big cast. Like it's 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 one of those things where I feel like those are the, I want to say those are the more important characters to highlight outside of maybe, um, the son well, Unosuke, right? Who's of who's course. the of course the 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 one with the gun, played by Te- yeah. Tetsuya Nakadai, yeah. And then mm-hmm. what is Nakadai? Yeah. The other, I mean, his brothers. It's kind of like the the structure of the gangs is almost, you know, what's important as well. Because mm-hmm. there's one gang that's three three brothers leading a gang, yeah. and there's another gang that is a uh, a husband and wife with a a son who they want to take over. Yes. And the it's kind of like the the wife character is part of the you know duplicitous nature of that little group. And uh, the the gang with the brothers is more about like shows of force. They're yeah, and they're kind of they have like the structure of one one is kind of dumb, one is kind of you know <laughs> hot headed. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. how that goes. But well, um, that's that's I think that's how we'll see it going into our <laughs> into our second half and and yeah, all that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So one of the other things like uh, I do want to highlight, of course, is the f- is is the first real kind of show like showcase scene for Sanjuro. Mm-hmm. So so after he gets the information from the from the tavern uh, from the from the tavern owner, um, he basically again I think it's very telling because this film has this line specifically where he goes like essentially says line of like oh I guess I'm. I'm just going to clean this shit up then. <laughs> Essentially. Mm. Like, he kind of says along the lines of, like, he already makes his intent pretty clear. Okay, got it. I'm going to I'm gonna clean this then. Because he just kind of hears how messy it is. Um, and he picks the first group. He kind of... I think it was, like... This was, like, a group that was, like, taunting him before. As he was entering the town, right? Um, and... Yeah. Um, he, uh... Which... Which of it's Ush, Ushitora's men? Ushitora is yeah. the um, oh, I've lost it. Well, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's the um, the father. Mm-hmm. With the yeah, and he kind of does like. This is like the first real like showcase of his skills as he threatens these guys 
they fight back and he kills them all in like a couple of seconds you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um and here's the thing let's kind of keep in mind i think um when people think of samurai films or movie like you know etc uh, specifically this era of movies uh, specific, which they were called the uh, jedi geeky films um when people think of these movies they they, they have a mindset thinking that it's going to be like a lot of flashy sword play and like extended long action sequences um which they are now that's kind of what the majority of them are now if you watch mm-hmm. a modern japanese jedi geeky film um now action sequences last like three minutes long five minutes long there's one of my favorite movies is this movie called azumi and it's like a 20 minute finale <laughs> you know of, wow. of, of just like action sword bloodbath but that's not but this is a different period this is a different era it's it's the it's the early 60s um but it doesn't mean like you're not going to get the action what's really and that's kind of the great thing about kurosawa he's so dynamic in his in his action filmmaking even if it lasts less than a minute you know it's still really effective and um it's mostly you know really clean swipes cuts etc and it's all in the placement so it looks like he's cutting them down you know uh, without like a like blood splatter or going in in slow mo or how you would film a modern action scene it is it mm-hmm. still gives you that kind of visceral thrill without doing it so obviously as you would now um and uh, I'll put a pin on that <laughs> and you know well, and yeah, for and- one for once I'll say it's a pin that I'm not gonna that's not a negative I just want to point that out it's um <laughs> I, and I I also think, you know, for anyone who's never watched Yojimbo uh, and is just listening to this, uh, it's in black and white. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's in Japanese. Like, it is, it is a, uh, you know, it kind of has this, uh, this look of a very artsy thing, but it was like, that was just, you know, black and white film was just either, like, a choice or just cheaper, right? Like, it was mm-hmm, just... Mm-hmm. You know, so it kind of it has none of the modern look no. of anything that we're used to now. Like that's you know part of the whole why action you know action sequences have evolved so much. But even uh, talking about that, like just because it, it already looks so different to your eye that it's kind of like oh yeah, this is a really interesting. Like he just kind of uh, you see uh, Sanjiro's blade you know touch the people but you don't see blood you don't see um uh anything like it's kind of almost cheesy but that's kind of that's just how films were (laughs) they just didn't they didn't have all that and the but then part of that um uh show of force there is kind of a, a a button on it like a a a funny comedic moment where these these men that were boasting to Sanjiro, mm-hmm. they one of them says, "Oh, I'm, I'm a criminal. I'm wanted in so many places, and I that's where I got this tattoo in, in prison." And uh, it's on his arm, and yeah, that's the yeah. arm that Sanjiro cuts off. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, Which is, okay, you know what? I ha- I can't help myself. I have to bring up Star Wars again. Where does that sound familiar? Oh, oh, uh huh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're wanted men. (laughs) I think there's also, you know, I I think there's also something to it where if you like Star Wars enough, you will just watch, you will enjoy 
watch and enjoy Kurosawa films because you will see the 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 connections. You will and it'll feel familiar enough. It's so funny. You know, I so, didn't even I didn't even think of that until literally you bring you breaking it down. That scene mm-hmm. went. That is a hundred percent the scene in Tatooine, down to the cutting the arm. You know, and that's really that's really interesting that he wanted Mifune for 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 uh, <laughs> Kenobi. For Kenobi, he, yeah, and yeah, that's the he, one who cuts off the arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, He literally does the scene. Um, <laughs> Lucas, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's like he's again. It's like if like I'm mentioning or like all my early film school scripts, like, mm-hmm. and I'm putting all my influences on there and not realizing, hey, maybe it's not so much an influence, but you're ripping off the filmmaker you <laughs> yeah. like. <laughs> I okay. This is a complete. I'm just gonna go off on a tangent because you sure. said that, and it it's a very funny story, at least to me. I think sure, you'll sure, find sure, it sure. funny. <laughs> uh, early on, when I was at community college and I was in a film class or whatever, and I was uh, trying to write some scripts, I definitely and I found it much a few years later, and I looked at it and I went, "Oh, I must have just seen Shaun of the Dead and loved it because." This scene here where um, he's flipping through the channels and they're saying uh, words that relate to the film, that's in Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally, I just ripped that right off. Oh, my God. Basically, what I'm saying is it could happen to you. You Anyone out there. uh, If you love a film too much, it it can find its way into your little first first couple of scripts <laughs> listen from george lucas to quentin tarantino to to you to me we've all done it yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um i want to i want to uh talk about something that i i think i mean other than the the plot because there's a lot going on with the plot but i i want to talk about sanjuro as a character yeah okay. right because he is specifically, you know, he's a he's a ronin. He is a a samurai without a master. Yeah. Which I, I you know, on this watch I was really thinking about you know, part of what makes this movie work is that at this in this time period, right? Isn't it thought, you know, like samurai have a code of honor or some mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And so when when he shows up, people do kind of think oh he's not going to be bad but he will yeah. take money and do a job right so it's like he right. you know he has he has these skills just innately because you can tell by looking at him that he is a samurai right but i was wondering if part of him being a ronin i mean i as i said it's it's good that we don't get his backstory but right. i like that they don't tell us so that we can almost think well what happened to his master why is he wandering mm-hmm. you know with no with no purpose at all is yeah. he still is he still upholding the code of a of a samurai is he mm. it, does he still have honor mm. you know and i this movie does reveal yeah. a lot of that but i think in ways that are different than maybe one would expect because yeah. there is the sub the subplot uh, involving the the woman who has been uh, stolen in a in a card game or whatever, <laughs> like right, 
Yeah. No, I just wonder. I, I mean, do you, yeah, yeah. Do you do you think, you know, the way that he's going about taking out these gangs? Do you do you think when he starts it, is it about honor or is it about like proving himself? Like, is it boastful? Oh, interesting. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, ooh. That's a good, yeah, wow, hold on. I never even thought of that. That's a really good point. Um, Because there's a line, right? Like, if it means honor, then he see, then he's coming into, because the way, that's the thing, right? Like I said, like, he comes in, here's the situation, and it sounds like he's doing it for justice, you know? Mm-hmm. He is literally cleaning up. He's going to clean up the town. And the answer is, like, well, I'm going to fuck with one group, and I'm going to fuck with the other group, and then at the end of the day, they both should be gone. Um, so that sounds like honor and justice to a certain degree. It sounds like justice, truthfully, but, mm-hmm. but if he's a masterless samurai, that's a very interesting point that is this something to prove because then what happened to him before, that's something I didn't consider or th- think about. And because here's the thing, right? Like he's not taking credit for anything he's doing, you know, he'd mm-hmm. rather not. You know, he's he, fully anonymous. He he. Yeah. The name that he gives, as as we're calling him Semjuro, mm-hmm. is the the joke in the movie is that when he is asked his name, he looks out a window and says, uh, his name translates to what he is seeing out the window right. and his age. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So no, it, it, you can. I think you can. You can definitely argue that the in the in the, that you could that you could definitely argue the idea that he might be doing something to prove more to himself than anyone else mm. um that's why he takes no credit that's why he has no you know uh you know he has no name he is in fact a man with no name outside of yep. the name he gives them and when he tells cuz here's the thing right when you look at the big plan the plan ends with both sides the plan should work with both sides gone and no one will will talk about him you know mm-hmm. you know maybe the tavern keeper maybe but there's no but yeah like is is there something in his past that maybe he is shameful of and that's why he, he is masterless that's a good question i don't know i but i can see that i can see this is for himself more than anything else which is something that I never considered until you brought up that question. So, but I could see it. I can see maybe I just, that's, that's what that's what motivates Mufuni's performance. Maybe that could that could be a way to look at. Yeah, it, I. You know? I do think you know because the the part of him I think being a samurai is to kind of show to the audience and maybe to some it's a, of well, the it's a characters. It's a yeah, shorthand. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shorthand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, it's, it's a very it's, good shorthand to go like, oh, that this guy is this. And then we, uh, we as the audience understand, oh, he's a skilled, he's skilled at this. And in turn, the people in the town will get, oh, he is a skilled swordsman because he's a samurai, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing to at least consider. Because uh, I think you can also just as easily go, oh, no, he's just a good guy. <laughs> like, he just, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not like there's anything in the movie that really contradicts uh, either takes on it it's just something that i was like i i always did kind of wonder like he's because he's a roman or ronin like what is yeah 
what does that mean in his past? Not, you yeah. know, but it's it's also, I don't know. I think I think it makes the movie a little better. I think it makes the movie a little <laughs> more interesting. <laughs> well, I think because uh, because of the fact there's a sort of gruffness to him, this no bullshit mm-hmm. attitude. Um, that I think you can say he's not just a little. He's not just air, like not just you know, like the personality shows there's something else besides just being someone who knows what good and bad is, you know. But also, he's playing both sides. He's aware of it, and he is taking money, even though he's not really keeping a majority of the money, which I also find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Which means he's not doing it for the money. Um. Yeah, no, I I think there's I think like, you're right. I I think there that's a way to. That makes it more interesting than just simply coming in going, well, I have to defeat the villains of this town. You know? Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> that's not this movie. That's not the story. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I do... Huh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Mm, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, I brought up the um, the subplot with the the uh, the, the mother, the... Uh, yeah. Nui, I believe mm-hmm. is her name. She... She was basically given as a gambling debt um, to Yushitora, uh, and she is, you know, not in a good situation, I would say. Uh, And when when Yojimbo discovers this part of it, and the way he discovers is there is, you know, uh, an exchange of hostages, basically. Yeah. Um, And in... The tavern with Sanjuro is the uh, the husband and her child, uh, and the husband is not allowed to see her, and the child is not allowed to see her. So they're watching mm-hmm. this this handoff, and the child starts you know yelling for the mother. Yep. And something. This is where it's like Sanjuro. His plan changes right here. Right. Yeah. He he's yeah he he. He detours from having these two sides fight just so that he can get this woman out of the situation. He fully, yeah. you know, goes off of what his plan was. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, a big moment in the movie because it that is, you know, he is truly not gaining anything from this. He yes. could continue to have the two sides fight and not even worry about this woman. Mm-hmm. But it's it kind of is a show of, like he is good in his nature, because he wants mm. to help this family out this with their this horrible situation that they're in, and he manages to yeah. kill all the guards guarding her, yeah. and then send send the little family off into the night. Um, and it, I do I I laugh at this part because it's very funny where they're they're like we have to we have to thank you like that's what they're saying to him and he's like uh, they're like they're like we're gonna come back and give you money and he's like no never return here (laughs) (laughs) get no there's this one of my the great bit i love is after he um after he kills all the guards and he sends them away he makes it look like a lot of people were there (laughs) yeah that's really good (laughs) and once he gets out he sees the family there bowing and thinking him, and he's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> I'm t- what? They're gonna f- see you. Get the hell out of here!" You know. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's that case of like he's doing the right thing, but he doesn't want the credit, and he doesn't want them to think of him as a hero. You know. 
Um, but he did. Mm. He did do it, though. He did do the right thing. <laughs> um, and I do love that, like, he does this and everyone comes in and is like, oh, clearly, look at this. There's so many people here got killed and now clearly more than like, like at least three or four guys, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. probably six guys came in here and destroyed everything. Well, you and know? this is where he gets back into the, the groove of his plan. And he says, oh, it was the other guy. The other guy sent some people over, kidnapped her yeah. back. You're going to have to go uh, attack him to find her. So mm-hmm. he kind of sets them off attacking each other again. Yeah, but boy, oh um, boy, is like Unasoke such a little shit. I'm just gonna say that right now. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Unasoke doesn't isn't buying it. Let's talk about him for a tad. <laughs> He's um, great. I yeah. I think he has like he has such an interesting, distinct character. Uh, he's almost like a greaser the way he comes in, like his hair <laughs> he, and uh, sure. his swagger. A hundred percent. I always I, imagine him getting which off of again, a bike. You know? Oh yeah, which I mean, again, it doesn't fit the Edo period that this is meant to take place in, but it fits mm-hmm. the literal time. This movie came out in 1961, yeah. so we would have just well, had you know that that kind of movement. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a thing where like you know like it's. It's funny you brought up that, like, you know, for anyone who's watching it now, they might look at this as, oh, it's an artistic black and white film. It's like, wait, no, no. And when this movie came out, this was mainstream. <laughs> you know, this was, this was a, this was a modern blockbuster. If there's a way to just kind of describe it to a certain degree, this is an art <laughs> film. This is a commercial as hell. And mm-hmm. and and Unisoke is absolutely a reflection. Of, like you said, like he he looks like a greaser, and he has that attitude. Of a, of a 50s greaser, except he's in Edo, Japan. And I almost feel, I kind of like that little change in attitude and, and, and stylistic choice. He, he looks, like I said, he looks like he should be coming off of a motorbike with, with, with a leather jacket, mm-hmm. with a, you know, with a motorcycle and a leather jacket and combing his hair back, you know, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> so, Andrew, real quick, do you think the, the, the gun represents something? <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I never thought about that. <laughs> but it definitely is more, I mean, it plays into uh, his final moments where he's like, I just don't feel complete without it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just, I usually associate the way he holds the gun and using that gun as his main personality trait and skill set uh, <laughs> as a representation of something. <clears throat> anyway, um, <laughs> that's, you know, you're onto something, I think. <laughs> um, uh, what I'll say, I, I, what I like about this is that we have a, a man who is very skilled with a sword. Yeah. Senjuro is, I mean, they say it at the end when he doesn't have a sword, he's, he's nothing. Mm. And then once uh, there's that, uh, in that final little sequence and the, the coffin maker brings him a dead man's sword and he's like, it's bad luck, but I, but I know you need it. And he has that sword and he just kind of, it's like he powers up in that moment. Like this is a, (laughs) you give, Sanjuro a sword and he can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you know how how can you what, what how can you beat a guy with a sword oh well what if a guy had a gun <laughs> like that's kind of how this right. movie works <laughs> right right where it's it's like he is not you know Sinjiro doesn't have supernatural powers with the sword so it's not like he can slice the bullet in two or anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it is kind of like you can give any person a gun but then this is a man who as you said he has made his whole personality this gun yeah like he he loves holding it using it showing it off spinning it around he likes to shoot anything and everything like he he shoots the bell he shoots he shoots <laughs> the ground a lot he shoots everything he he uh, reacts to it yeah. he reacts with it he reacts as if it's his eyeballs you know mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like little detail mm-hmm. in the in the in the farmhouse where they they kept the the young woman and like a little bit of rice falls out and he points the gun at the rice file you know it's like that's his whole life. Is his, <laughs> his, his whole is, is the gun is, is him, and he is the gun. You know. Yeah. So it kind of it it has to build to this moment of how is Sanjiro going to overcome this? Yeah. You know he can he can overcome uh, a lot of different things. He can uh, you know sheer numbers against him. He mm-hmm. can pretty much overcome that. You know, get getting uh beat beat to within an inch of his life, he can think he can think out think his way out of that situation right, for right, sure for sure. Uh-huh. Uh But but getting but getting shot is something he doesn't want to try. Right, because he is still a human being. As and I think that's the great thing about yeah. the, him getting beaten up to to the breadth to the inch of his life is a reminder of that. I actually really love that. Mm-hmm. It's it it shows he is fallible it shows that he has he can't be on top of it completely you know um and yeah it's at the right moment where you know he thinks he's back in control of the situation after he kind of detoured to help the family but then that also sadly led into him getting caught getting beat up to the breath to the end of his life and having to find a way to escape before they fully kill him um and yeah, I love how he escapes. I love <laughs> how so he escapes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah. He he's kept he's kept in a little like storehouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when the two guards go to I don't know get a snack or something, yeah, he just hops into a box, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they go looking for him and they leave the door open and out he goes. <laughs> I I legitimately love. When you know, like after they kind of sneak him out, and and the dumb brother helps, <laughs> inadvertently helps him with that. Um, mm-hmm. When he comes out of his like kind of hiding spot, whatever he's he's his he's got this a messed up face, and he's smiling. And the tavern keeper's like, "Don't do that. That just <laughs> that just creeps me out even more." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but sadly, it is. Because of the tavern keeper getting caught in the situation, he's now like kind of he got caught, and it's clear because he's been helping you know Sanjiro get healed up. Now Sanjiro has to come back uh, and and save him. Um, and again, it's amazing. You got this. It's it's funny because it's yeah, Kurosawa also took some influence in in American westerns, um, so it's wild to think that you know this film is essentially still a western more or less mm-hmm. um 
and this final showdown just smells and looks and feels of like of a, a, a of, of a hollywood western but like a little bit more panache you know like the dust winds blowing there's this you know it's the send it's like it's it's the one gang gang of several versus sanjuro himself it's really great um and yeah i kind of love like how does how does sanjuro like you point out like it that is a good question right like you know as the thing you, you you set up the stakes you brought up earlier it's like how does how does a man even as good as a swordsman that he is take on a man who has a gun who's a relatively you know pretty good shot and the answer is Sancho is still a better <laughs> still a better warrior than him even with the gun yeah. <laughs> and the, and a smarter the, and the... a smarter warrior at that you know yeah the the knife when when we see him in the little room practicing throwing the knife so, so cool so good uh and so then when he gets out there and he has to face off uh, with Unasoke, he he does like this kind of little dodge move before throwing mm -hmm. the knife, which is yeah. so like such a, a funny little fake out. <laughs> and then the way he just perfectly throws the knife into the arm yeah. that holds the gun so yeah. that he cannot even properly, you know, aim it, pull the trigger, anything. Yeah. Uh, and then he takes him out. Like, it's just like, that was good. That you was, know, I, uh... I gotta point out what's so great about the, about the knife practicing scene, right? Because it's a lot of great storytelling being done without a lot of talking. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's already showing that by this point, it's showing that Sanjiro's is, is getting better and his face is mostly healed back to normal. Um, but then also the knife throwing, it's because he's just throwing his knife to catch a, a a leaf that's on the ground that's like kind of blowing in the wind so when you get this sort of artistic beautiful little shot of a leaf blowing around and then a knife stopping it but this also shows that okay so sanjuro's skill sets are are still strong and he's getting you know quite literally sharper but then it also sets up oh he can throw a knife with skill <laughs> like mm -hmm. he knows that he can throw a knife with 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 accuracy as well so this doesn't come out of nowhere when he does the scene with the game, and you almost forget about the knife, hilariously enough, until the final, until the showdown, and then yeah, they people... do they do kind of a one two of we see him recovering with and practicing with the knife, then we find out that the tavern keeper's been taken, then we get yeah. the showdown. So it's kind of like, you know, by by upping the stake right there, the stakes just a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, and then you move, you you kind of think it's gonna go one way, and then oh, that thing you just saw, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna play into what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so good. Um. <laughs> I, I yeah, and I will say there's another thing that I remember always liking about the ending mm -hmm. is there's another the 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 other really great payoff. Yeah, which was from the beginning of the movie. We saw that he he stumbled upon this little drama between a farmer and his son and the son didn't want to be a farmer and wanted to go off and gamble and, and be, you know, a, a gang member for, for glory and money. Mm -hmm. That is the final person that Sinjuro faces off against yeah. in all the, the gang members that he's fighting. Yeah. And he not only, you know, remembers him, that has a like a one-liner for him, <laughs> 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 and, 
and he sends him home. He doesn't kill him. He kills all the others. But this this one, he he uh, he drops his sword, and Sanjiro knows him instantly, and it's just like you go home. You live a boring <laughs> life now. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like this is you know it was like what did you expect? Mm-hmm. You know, go 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 back, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing for you here ever. Yeah. Go to your family. Uh, you, you know. Yeah. Um, and I did I, love how. I also think. I mean, yeah. Playing playing into the the weird way that Sanjiro is like good, a force of good, is I think he also was you know kind of upset at the way that Unosuke, um, killed the other gang when they were mm-hmm. surrendering yeah um that's one of the last things he sees while he's escaping and beat up um and so he he kind of you know whether or not he would have had to kill those other gang members but he knew that the way that they did it was heartless and not you know as you say it's not justice right yeah um also do like just how very simply the movie ends after mm-hmm. all of this the only people really left in the town is is, is is gonji and the and the coffin maker and sanjiro like does one more act which is just cut gonji free turns around <laughs> and literally that's it the, the the movie ends the music rises and that's it there's no real like no real like kind of like soliloquy or anything or about man is like no no his job's done. <laughs> you know? like it, he, he, he did what he accomplished, and he moves on, and then the movie ends. I just kind of love that. I just and just that's it. That's the end of your Jimbo. You know? mm-hmm. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I might say, like, of all the other Kurosawa films uh, I've watched, this because here's the thing: like, Seven Samurai, I think is is. It's fantastic. It's also three hours-ish long. So I can understand yeah. maybe somebody feeling a little intimidated by that. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go through every single film, but, like, yeah, each film has their own kind of, you know, greatness. But I will say that, like, if you want, like, I, I want to try Kurosawa. I do want to try Kurosawa. Um, I, you don't have to be like me. I could say, go ahead and start with this. This, <laughs> this is a pretty good gateway Kurosawa film to try out because I think it gets you all the stuff that people like about his work. It gives you Mofuni, even gives you some of his other players, you know, some of his other actors you would see like Takashi uh, Shimura, uh, who's in this movie as well. He's the sake, you know, uh, owner. He's also in uh, Rashomon, yeah. the, the lead in Ikuru, uh, Seven Samurai, and also Godzilla, FYI. <laughs> um... <laughs> He's in this too, and so it's like you get a couple of Mufuni's regular day players, and you also get like, you know, you get Mufuni, a uh, Kurosawa's day, you know, folks, and then you also get Mufuni, in, uh, in his, in his kind of like his, uh, his glory. FYI, I did get a little, feel a little bad about myself because there's a one point they were saying like, oh, you're almost pushing forty, <laughs> and I'm like, god damn it, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just turned thirty eight. I don't look a thing like Mufuni. <laughs> <laughs> well we can't all look like him you know <laughs> yeah i know i know i know i know 
uh, just wow. I just that that was one of those like I am getting old anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I I could say this is a good one to start with. It's under two hours, you get everything, and if you like Kurosawa after watching Yojimbo, I'm I or you loved Yojimbo, I can't imagine for you to not keep going after that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that is good advice. I also think um, it's just a good movie. I think just yeah. everyone would have a good time watching it, uh, whether or not they want to, uh, you know, delve deeper into um, Japanese cinema. It is, it is just a really good, on its face movie. Yeah. Um, where, like, you can just you can just the skill of it, as simple as as so much of it is. It it. It shows so much, uh, and is just really cool and good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so after the break, we're gonna come back and we're looking at another iconic performance from another iconic director again, um, and see how that pair holds up against this film that me clearly me and Andrew really love. So, take a little break. We'll be right back. Feeding peckish this midnight? Set your appetite for terror and reserve your ears for a feast of the sound. The Midnight Marinara Podcast is here for you, intrepid listener. We sample only the finest and sinister stories and, quoting them with our own unique spooky sauce, present them to you as airy audio dramas. Tune in this Midnight Marinara sends shivers of fear and spasms of laughter through you. Bon appetit. <laughs> Before we put down our swords and pick up our pistols, let's have a little moment and talk about Patreon. That's right. We have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash nothing new where you can join and get access to a whole feed of bonus episodes where for every episode that we do here, we do another one over there. And usually it's linked in some way. And in fact, this is one of the months where it's another remake. And I'll just give you a little taste of it. Here's a, here's a little sample from that episode right now. So he'll decide to go ahead and give it a try and write and direct the film. But on the condition, I want to point this out, Andrew, on the condition that the film not be a Western. Mm -hmm. Interesting that he says that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he decided to do it as a 1930s gangster film using the techniques of 1940s film noir, which I'm like, okay. And also... Is it? <laughs> right. Is it? The right? most noir thing about it is that Bruce Willis narrates the whole thing. Which. But it doesn't, that to me, watching it now, because I'd seen this yeah. years ago when mm -hmm. I was in my Yojimbo zone, as sure. I call it, where I had first seen Yojimbo <laughs> and wanted to take in as much as I could. This was where yeah. I stopped the last time. I watched Last Man <laughs> Standing. I said, I don't need any more remakes. That's how you know. This time, <laughs> just just for this podcast, I 
I went back into the Ojimbo zone and watched two more remakes and I had to stop again. So, right, uh, but right. this, this one, he, he's narrating and it just feels like, like lazy storytelling. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, the, the noir style. It, just it feels... is. <laughs> I, I, I can't agree with you anymore. It is. It's, I don't like it. It does not work. Um, like also, he is just like constantly talking and just like he's just like I walked into town I felt sad they were mean to me I am at a crisis <laughs> of faith like he just tells you what he's thinking all the time Woo! alright so for just one dollar you get that episode and an archive of a bunch of episodes and content that we have collected for gosh how many years i don't even remember how many years we've had the patreon at this point so there's a lot of extra stuff on there um and then don't forget for a little extra more uh you can actually control the show for a little bit and uh tell us what to talk about what remake and what original film to discuss on your dollar your dime because we're here to please so um <laughs> uh once again for patreon though at the minimum all we ask is for a buck and you get a lot of extra episodes and content including that episode right there but we are moving on we were from we are in Edo, japan circa 1961 and <laughs> once again we are still in the 60s this time 1964 and this film, well, hold on. I brought in something out earlier, and I guess I want to bring it up now. <laughs> wow. I'm going to bring this up now. I pointed out something earlier that, yes, this is known. Once you find out this movie was a remake of Yojimbo, most folks know that as that, right? Okay, yes, these are, you know, this film is a remake of Yojimbo. Here's the thing, though. Most folks don't actually know this, though. It kind of actually isn't officially a remake. <laughs> yeah. Um. It it is, but they actually didn't get the rights to properly remake it <clears throat> and get the approval of of Toho, the studio that released and made Yojimbo. They just they just remade it. Um, which is fascinating because it's really it's it's you know not that it's a good thing but I'll say it's no. weirdly Im impressive because think about I, I was reading kind of into it and it was like they the producers and the director and writer they like went and saw this movie and walked out and said well, let's just make that movie <laughs> <laughs> and then they had to have you know, I mean, between their memories, because it's not like they could, you know, uh, watch. The, I mean, they they must have gone to the theater and seen this a couple of times because there are literal lines that are the same in both films. Yeah. Like he, yeah. they are. It isn't just like, oh, yeah, the idea is there and the visual style. But no, it is like dialogue is the same. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And it's true. Yeah, you, it's not like they can go to the bookstore and buy a script for the Japanese film Yujimbo <laughs> or mm -hmm. or watch it on at home and you know even if they were you know uh 
owning the theater for some reason or another or what or had access to it it's uh, more than just a regular attendance so yeah they but here's the thing, i guess they knew what was a good thing in front of them didn't they <laughs> yeah well and i um, think it's also the the kind of the the ethos of this kind of filmmaking that that um sergio leone was was you know like spearheading here was yeah. that it was cheap like that it was fast mm -hmm. you know it was it could be an imitation yeah it could be a, a lot of different things yeah um and it could have like that kind of uh like you just you just make it you don't get yeah. permission you just make it go go yeah. and make it <laughs> yeah and of course the film they went off and made is a fistful of dollars or yes as a, or as titled on screen fistful of dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and yes, as Andrew mentioned, directed by like, you know, famed Italian director Sergio Leone, and starring a little guy that eventually went on to kind of make this genre his genre. <laughs> yeah. Like, we are talking, of course, about Clint Eastwood, and this, of course, is the film that cemented him or made him the the star that everyone kind of knows him today. Um, and I want to mention the music here before we, before we move on, just cause I want to just go ahead and get the brain start thinking about him. The score is also iconic in its own way. Cause this is a score done by Neil Morricone. And I mean, here's the funny thing, Andrew, we both brought up the fact that we, we found out about you Jimbo after so, in a weird way, I, I'm going to ask you that question again. How did you find out about A Fistful of Dollars? You know, I'm not sure. I must have seen, you know, I must have seen a, a DVD. I, I remember seeing and possibly buying a DVD set that was um, the three fist, you know, A Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more. And the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I believe they also threw in Duck, You Sucker. I have that set. <laughs> yeah, I believe I saw that in a store and possibly bought it or had my parents buy it or something when I was when I was coming up in the world and going, <laughs> I want to be a movie person. I want to watch all the movies. And this is an important one. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I never did get to watching all of them until very recently, I'll say. Well, I still haven't seen Duck, You Sucker, but... The uh, the dollars trilogy, uh, but it's yeah, it was definitely something where I saw a fistful of dollars, uh, probably on from from that DVD, mm -hmm. which was probably at a Best Buy or something. That's that sounds right. Or a Sam so, Goody or. <laughs> I have this DVD box set. It was in a white box. Yeah, white box. Uh huh. And it's folded out. Yeah, I have the mm -hmm. exact same set. Um. So I, well, here's the thing, A Fistful of Dollars is one of those movies that I was always keenly aware of, you know, like if you knew who Clint Eastwood was, you knew mm -hmm. he started in these movies. And like, even I was like, you know, as I was coming in terms of like my film, you know, you know, you know, film fanatic side of me was growing and I was learning more about it and, and watching a bunch of these movies. I didn't get around to. I didn't get around to a fistful of dollars until around two thousands, the early two thousands, and I remember borrowing my brother's. Now he's thinking he had a different box set. 
he probably had the first DVD box set that only has the Dollars Trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. And not the extended cuts, except for A Fistful of Dollar. Uh, dollar. Uh, except for uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. That one, he had, like, uh-huh. the, the director's cut or whatever they call it. So, I... I actually watched Yojimbo first because that was when I was in community college. So this was around the time, a little bit after that. So I finally got around to watching A Fistful of Dollars. And then I watched For a Few Dollars More. And then I watched Good and Bad, The Ugly. So here's the hilarious part, Andrew. I want to say this right now. When I watched A Fistful of Dollars, I actually remember thinking, hmm, I didn't like it as much as Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. That was my initial reaction. You know, I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, okay. But it's just a Yojimbo, isn't it? <laughs> um that being said i want to point out right now um when i watched, went to watch for a few dollars more i fell in love i love for a few dollars more i mostly because wow. i think and i think i think the reason helped was because i didn't have yojimbo to compare it to yeah so what i did like about a fistful of dollars is i loved leone's style uh, I loved Marcona's score and I loved Clint's performance, but I was so distracted that it was just Yojimbo. But in, in the West, I think that took away for it for me when I first saw it. Um, but when I went to go watch for a few dollars more, I had nothing to compare it to, so I was just able to enjoy the story as is and 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 enjoy Lee Van Cleef's like really fun performance. And I just got to you know let that be the movie and and then I and I also got more of Leone's great style and Marcone's great score and more east to it without thinking of kurosawa and and mifune so i was like by the end of four for a few dollars more i was like oh my god okay now i love this okay i love this one this is great and then i went to watch the good the, then i went to watch the good the bad the ugly i went oh my god okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay no i'm into these these are great i love them um and even i can admit that i liked the fistful of dollars but I, the issue is i compared it to yojimbo and it was that was kind of a hard uh, it was kind of a hard, uh, you know, a hard thing to look at when you when Yojimbo is so clearly a, like one of my favorite movies. Um, so it's been a bit actually since I've seen it. Uh, so I was kind of again, I was looking forward to doing, you know, having the excuse of rewatching A Fistful of Dollars uh, for our episode because I actually haven't seen it since I saw it then. Um, and I actually, you know, like I can hilariously the joke now the assignment is we actually are comparing the two. But I was able yeah. to be a lot. I'm actually a little bit more kinder to it now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, Justin. I was definitely one of those um, kind of annoying people in my early 20s, where if someone did bring up a fistful of dollars, I would go, "Oh, and have you seen Yojimbo? Well, course. it's so much better. Uh, <laughs> you should really watch Yojimbo." And it's just like, "What? Just come on. We just all can, you know, just deal with whatever." Like yes, Yojimbo's really good and people should watch it, but it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, it, you know, there's no need to be superior. You know, it's right. the, these can both be very good movies uh because they're from, you know, directors who well, I mean, with Kurosawa you have someone who is just so good at their craft, made so many movies. Yeah. And then with Sergio Leone managed to um if not invent the genre, put such a stamp on it that it is forever altered and associated with him it is you know yeah absolutely there's something to be said that like it's yeah it's something to be said about the fact that like 
like it'd be one thing for this to just be like oh a remake of Yojimbo they ripped off Yojimbo but this is again the case where it's like another person who you know much like Kurosawa has their own style their own aesthetics and their own taste and um their own vision that it's it's amazing to see the same story more or less but not look like Kurosawa's movie at all um Leone is Leone and when you get this film you get like the things I really love about Sergio Leone are are very prevalent here and they're not Kurosawa choices they're Sergio Leone choices and I love it um and yeah no it's 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 wild to think that like his his style and interest and as as I found out he wanted to kind of revitalize the western because Hollywood was starting to care less about it and he found like like I said, like the, the value of making it because you can do it in a certain way and you can do it in a certain budget. And um, he found a way to just sort of take this 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 genre and say it's mine. <laughs> I am do I will take this now. I will make these this movie. I will make these kind of western. I will make these kind of movies. And yeah, it's it's so like people think Leone they think western before they think of like anything else he has done or will do you know and he's done plenty that's not a western but you're going to think of western first when you think of Sergio Leone and this movie was the first step an, an important step too and a, a very impactful step to get there um but let's talk Clint Andrew oh um, Clint <laughs> Oh my god. It's so it's just his portrayal here is now this is the this is what you do to parody Eastwood. This performance. <laughs> yeah. When when you're doing he really, it, I, <laughs> Yeah, he really this is uh like this is that that kind of, you know, the like straight mouthed, like no emotion. Yeah. You know, very just like the you know, just say a line and and that's it. There's no yeah. it. It's it's already you know. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent certain that Clint Eastwood had no idea that this was a unauthorized remake. Yeah. <laughs> of Yojimbo. Yeah. yeah. And so already you know that means that he was never going to be looking at. Uh, Mifune's performance and going oh what can I do different what can I do better worse whatever yeah so he just does very much his own thing which is that this character is kind of humorless Mm -hmm. uh, but in in a way where he's just he is you know um, it's almost like I don't know why this is the way I think of it it's almost like he's a plumber you know (laughs) he comes in he sees the mess and he goes, he, you know, pulls up his pants and he goes, all right, to work I go. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, he's not um, the way that, that Sinjuro, that character would kind of get a little joy out of, out of doing what he's doing. Yeah. Or have a little fun in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, if, if, if this, if the man with no name, is having fun if Clint Eastwood's character is having fun we he doesn't show it (laughs) right he's to say he's dry is like saying that the Sahara has some sand 
you know. Um, <laughs> but I mean that yeah. in like a good way. It's a very, like you said, he does its own thing, and it's the opposite of what Toshiro does. And again, it's really great that he, you know, this when you like I said, when you think of a when you do an Eastwood impression, you your brain thinks squint your eye a bit, kind of talk like this. And yeah, act like, like you have something in your mouth. Yeah, maybe you have a cigar, maybe a, like a straw or something. You know, and you... Yeah. That's what you do, because that's that's the performance, you know. Um, and it's it's utterly convincing. I think, what was that? I was just reading this thing on Wikipedia. Uh, uh, there were plenty of names of folks who, but they were trying to see who they can get, like Hollywood actors to try to star in this thing. And then... Uh, Richard Harrison was actually one actor that Leone tried to offer uh, the role to, and uh, Harrison apparently said like Harrison like had not he wasn't uh, wasn't interested to do the film, but he did, you know. Uh, but the producers asked him like, "Would well, you have anyone who you think could do it?" Because they they're kind of going through a bunch of names, and no one could agree to the part, or didn't like the script, or didn't want to be paid uh, the amount they were willing to do. And Harris suggested Harrison suggested. Eastwood, because apparently he said he knew he could play a cowboy convincingly. <laughs> uh, apparently, yep. I, uh, Harrison uh, later was said, maybe my greatest contribution to cinema was not doing a fistful of dollars and recommending Clint for the part. <laughs> um, yeah. He was doing um, Rawhide, which yeah. was a TV western. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he was playing the good guy, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the white hat, as they call it, you know. And right. so, yeah, it is kind of um, when you look at what the man with no name is, he is not a samurai. Mm-hmm. You know, he is not a it is not shorthand for he is kind of a force of vague good. Yeah. And. You know, it, you don't look at him and go instantly, oh, he is skilled with his weapon. Right. He is right. kind of like a, like, just a wandering, you know, troublemaker almost, you could mm, you could say. Mm-hmm. So it's already, like, has such a different energy at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. That's a very good point. He he does come off as a troublemaker. Because, um, yeah, like, I think that that is a key point that I, you know, the, the that I brought up earlier when when Sanjiro says like, Oh, okay. So this, this town needs to be cleaned up. Right. Um, and he's going to do it. Whereas the man with no name comes into this town and does decide, okay, I'm just going to screw with it. then. <laughs> when he wants and he, and he sees money, like it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's, oh, he there's does... a lot of money to be made here. He. This is the one. Un, this is the opposite of of, of Sanjiro. He does want the money. This is a job yeah. for him. This is a very big difference. Um, it's funny because it's not even stated outright in scripts in the script that it's the, a different attitude. Again, it's purely on how uh, Leone and and Eastwood play it, as the same way that Mafune and, and Kurosawa played uh, made the choices for his character. Uh, the choices that Leone and, and as Eastwood did to portray the man with no name, it we we're it's it's very clear in his performance, not in a lot of dialogue or in the script, that he's really really doing this for money or that he has any you know heroic tendencies. You know, um, it's 
it's pretty remarkable in one regard because yeah it, this shows that like kind of like the thing you, you you pointed out earlier where it's like they didn't they probably must have seen the film at least a couple of times to get all the beats right and even take some lines of dialogue but they're not studying it with a fine tooth comb to see what made it work and to try to replicate it they just went and did their own <laughs> yeah. thing you know <laughs> um which does show that the the basic setup is a pretty strong setup overall like mm-hmm. a, a, a mysterious you know you know warrior gunman swordsman comes into town sees two warring factions of corrupt criminal families at each other's throats and he decides to either come in and gain by being in the middle of it or come in and clean up by being in the middle of it. It's a really good premise that honestly, I get why it was, it was viewed as a, Oh, we can put, we can do our thing with that. We can take that story and do something with it. Cause it's a really strong premise. It's a, it's a premise that, you know, obviously again, if you listen to our Patreon episode, they did it again. Um, and heck, even in Japan, like we, I forgot to even bring this up, but in Japan, they, they did an anime called Yojimbo, which is mm. not based, which is based on the, the Kurosawa film, but it's it contemporary. <laughs> it was a contemporary huh. story set in like kind of a, a Japan West thing, um, and but again, same concept. A guy, a wanderer, comes in, sees the two towns kind of uh, screwing each other. Oh, here we go. The name of the anime is called Kaze Kaze no Kaze no Yojimbo, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's. Uh, it's similar concept, but it was only done for around. It was, but it was contemporary. Um, it does follow a lot of the same, you know, themes or whatever. But it was like a, it was a twenty-five episode anime that took the story and just made it contemporary. And so, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good premise that honestly, yeah, I it, it in a way that we got all these variations of a Star Wars board, which I understand why someone can look at that story and redo it but with a different twist and time period and see what the results are i I am kind of both relieved but a little surprised that there aren't a ton of yojimbo remakes (laughs) oh justin you're so naive (laughs) do you think i would come into this episode without having watched at least two other completely totally different adaptations of yojimbo Oh, Andrew, you did it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Justin. I legitimately me... didn't know that we were going to I did not know you were going to do this, so go ahead. This is a legit surprise. I have no idea what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> so, uh, when... I'm when glad I gave had... you that setup. I won't point that out. I'm oh, glad yeah. I gave that to you. <laughs> you, I, I... That was the best way that it could have been done, because I thought, I'm not going to talk about it unless it comes up, and... Oh, you just brought it up. <laughs> so there was a when when we first looked into, you know, what how we were going to do this episode and what would be our Patreon episode. I had found some other films that were not as well known as what our Patreon episode is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them is called The Warrior and the Sorceress. I believe. Okay. 1984 
Yeah, look, tell me who the lead of that film is. You'll oh, be no. you'll be pleasantly surprised. Oh no. Yeah. David Carradine. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the um it's like a very cheap. I believe it was a TV movie somehow, maybe not. Uh it it looks like a TV movie is what I'll say. Um and it is uh basically Yojimbo. It has all, all of the same beats, but it's set in kind of a fantasy, but fantasy in that post-apocalyptic Mad Max way. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but they do rely on a lot of sword and sorcery tropes rather than apocalyptic. But that is like the look and feel of the film is like, um, you know, that this is 100 years after the bombs went off. Everyone put lion skins on their backs and picked up swords, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, and the the sorceress in question is um, uh, the woman that that is kidnapped and and taken around, uh, and she doesn't do any sorcery until the end, where she kind of enchants a sword. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and that's pretty much all she does. Um, and there is a man who is the human form of Jabba the Hutt, uh, because he has a crocodile puppet companion it's very there's a lot going on in this movie is what i'm trying to say can, can i point and out then if, that go ahead hmm. go ahead yeah, yeah. If, no and, uh, point something out about warrior the sorcerers because i'm about to move on to the next one all right do i point out what yeah okay so i was looking up the name of carradine's character uh kane kane the warrior mm-hmm. um you know what his character name in kung fu was yeah oh was it also kane <laughs> Uh, Kwai Chang Kane with a C. <laughs> oh yeah. Oy. Oh yeah. Oy. There's oh okay. I do have to say my my favorite moment in the Warrior and the Sorceress. Um, in that scene where the the very first time that the 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 stranger you know the bodyguard whatever you want to call him uh, gets the gets the two groups to about to fight and then he reveals that he's not going to join one of them. Yeah. Um, it was very clear that they didn't have a plan and nobody was trained on how to do fake fighting. And so the two <laughs> groups literally get within an inch of each other with their swords raised, kind of go back and forth like a cartoon, mm-hmm. and then say the two leaders shout truce and they run away. Like it was very what? much... What? Yeah. What? There's a lot of ridiculous things in this movie. Um, the okay. other one that is of note, although I'll say it's much worse... Uh, is called Omega Doom. Justin, will you look up Omega Doom and oh. tell me who the the lead of that film is? I'll say this is a um, a future uh, setting with robots. <laughs> Doom. I want to be clear. Doom, as in D O O M. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh God. Oh God. Nineteen ninety six. Doom. Rudger Howard. <laughs> I think, oh, do you see a, wow. a pattern here? <laughs> oh, boy, yeah, I do. <laughs> so they kind of go, these these ones go the um, more of the, uh, you know, fistful of dollars route, where it is an action-y, you know, it is like the guy, the it, like what Clint Eastwood became, it's like these are the also rans, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you what makes Omega Doom so bad is that it's very clear that um there's no script or 
there are parts where perhaps Rutger Hauer just didn't want to speak. And so there's long stretches of silence while robots look at each other. And the robots are just people with robot parts hanging off of them. Um, Do you know and... who directed this, by the way? Oh, yeah. It was uh, Albert Pune, right? And, that, and he's mm-hmm. the one who did the Captain America that we covered on Patreon yep. years ago. <laughs> yeah, correct. 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 Uh, it's not a good movie, and no. it's about robots. Robots <laughs> are fighting. Um, there are no guns, but the and the robots have killed almost all the humans, and so they're trying to find the last hidden cache of guns. And so these two robots believe these two groups of warring robots believe they know where the guns are, so they're staking out the area where they think it's at. That's why it's two gangs fighting there. It's really. Oh. Yeah, and in the warrior and the sorcerers, they were it was two uh, rival factions fighting over the well. There's one well in the middle of their post-apocalyptic <laughs> wasteland. So yeah, so it's it's I, Justin. It's yeah. been remade. <laughs> I want to point out first. I stand corrected. Uh, second, <laughs> I want to point out about Omega Doom in that it, it does not shock me, Andrew, as I'm looking at production history on this one that uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Lambert was considered for the lead. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I'm, I actually feel like it should have just been Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I can't speak to whether or not that would make it better because it's just, that one is baffling and how bad it is. God. Um, Anyway, back to Fistful of Dollars. Which is clearly a better movie than these two movies. Um, I'm yeah. not even watching those two movies. I'm just going to take the... Just call the shots and say this, this yeah. is a better movie than those two movies. <laughs> For um, sure. The, what, what I want to say about A Fistful of Dollars is that it does... Um, there is one narrative thing that it does that I, I think they were... Um, they wanted to make a stronger narrative choice... And so at the beginning of A Fistful of Dollars, what we see instead of a kind of little family drama, as it was in Yojimbo, mm-hmm. we actually see Clint Eastwood's character stumble upon a scuffle involving um, the woman, Marisol, yes. in this film, mm-hmm. uh, who has been uh, you know, more or less kidnapped and, and forced into a life of... Um, some some bad times it's it's a it's a little unclear but it's it's uh more or less implied that she is um you know like a like a sex object for for one of the gang members right and so it's you know we see that at the start we don't fully understand it but we see a woman you know being taken and we see a man getting beaten up and a kid Mm -hmm. running away so it's kind of we we get that right at the start, so I, that when know, it comes up later, yeah, we we already are prepped for it, yeah. And I think that's actually not a bad choice, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I I I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I I I love like the added kind of extra story of the random family in in Yojimbo, and then how that ties up yeah. at the end. I like I do love that, but I actually do think that that's actually not a bad. That this isn't a bad idea. It actually, I think it does actually kind of add to it in in this context because it does set up the family early on, and it does create like a connective tissue 
for like a connective narrative for the their for their story from beginning to end especially when the same scenario happens all over again um and and i think they they also yeah. combine more or less they combine characters in the idea that in a fistful of dollars there are no there's no um mayor of the town there's no sake maker there's no yeah. uh it is just the gang leaders are the leaders yeah um so it makes it so that one of the i believe it's it's uh ramon right is the one the the one with the rifle yeah uh yes. he is the one who has stolen the woman away and so it kind of we combine all of the bad guys into one. <laughs> yeah. I do kind of laugh because I remember when I, when I first watched this movie, I did remember going like, okay, so the big the big point in Yojimbo was that, like, uh, he had a gun and that was unique of the times. What do we mm-hmm. do when everyone has guns? Um, and the answer <laughs> is, yeah, a rifle. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of unpinning something I said in the first half of the movie of the episode um, is the is this variation of of the man with no name um, confronting uh, the men in the beginning of the movie uh, to kind of basically kind of, you know set his set his place in the world uh, and also giving us our first real like kind of proper gun sequence um, and again much like Yojimbo it's a you know times are different even even in, in in this film and so like again what you would think would be like a really long extended action sequence um it's over in seconds just like in yojimbo except the action's different and i think that's something that's kind of cool is the idea that like again like you know it, it shows accuracy it shows skill and you get a little flavor of action and even though it's not it's a different kind of thing than like saying, you know, seeing Mifuni with a sword slicing some guys in a couple of seconds. It still has that kind of cool visual flair of seeing uh, Eastwood just quickly pull out his, his gun and just take some guys down really quickly in that really awesome, very close Sergio Leone angle. Um, it's almost, uh, it, I, I would almost call it, it's almost from the point of view of the gun. Yeah. Uh, which is a very interesting kind of way to shoot that and he does it a couple of more times throughout the film and mm-hmm. i i think of that as kind of uh you know part of what leone gave to the structure to the to the genre to the style agreed a hundred percent agree um the other thing i want to note because this scene highlights it quite a bit but it's one of my favorite things about leone is his choice of casting you know in in these extra roles, even if it's characters who don't have uh, a lot of speaking lines, I, I tend to think my favorite thing about Leone's like kind of casting like other you know members of the town or the you know villains and bad guys is that he's really good at getting like very unique faces that like just feel like they're part of the world. You know, I, that's the thing I I caught wind of that because I remember like Rodriguez Robert Rodriguez was was making you know did, in the commentary of Robert Rodriguez's second film Desperado. Um, the reason he casted Danny Trejo in the film is because he said he has a very Sergio Leone character face, <laughs> you know, like, so like, like you look at that guy, you're like, that guy's face tells you a whole story. Then I think that's, that's kind of cool about Leone that he does that even like you look at 
even if they have no lines, they have an interesting face, and that that face can tell you that guy's seen some shit, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's and he and, and the way you can definitely see it is just like he he's so close to it, he's so close to their face in with the camera that you you kind of have to kind of look at the details of them every time. It's it's a thing that I I, I actually really like about him. Um, can we talk about how great Morricone's score is? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. The I I think um, one of the the interesting things here is uh, with the well, some of the I mean most of the the scenes with the shooting there is tension. Mm-hmm. There's the tension before everyone starts firing their weapons, and part of that is you know in the scene, and part of that is the score. Like part yeah. of it, <laughs> it it's a you know it's a good mix of both. I can only imagine on set they just you know the actors are have to be so into the scene but they have no idea the effect that it's going to have on the audience because you know they they can't hear (laughs) the morricone Mm -hmm. score right they're just there on the set living it you know it is it that must have been you know for any of them to have actually sat down and watched the movie any of them who were involved in one of these uh you know duels or pistol shootouts to actually sit down and watch it and go, oh my god, like that it, <laughs> it's it's so you know, genius and and uh, it was you know it was new at the time, so it was well and also it's really I did cool know, to see. I, I do know that he you know Mar- Leone did ask uh, for Morricone to write some of the music before the film, um, which isn't that's not how you usually do it. You know, you you have a composer do the score after. Uh, mm-hmm. to time it to the movie, uh, but in in Leona's case, he kind of wanted um, to kind of get the feel early on, you know. Um, hey, I was reading this one thing where it remind, you know, like it, Leone's films, some of the music was written before the film, which is unusual. Uh, Leone's films were made like that because he wanted the music to be an important part of it, and he often kept the scenes longer simply because he didn't want the music to end. That's why the, the his <laughs> films are are kind of slowly paced because of the music. So he's trying to. Like, cause yeah, if you if Morricone gives you the score and you're like this, I don't I don't want to cut this song down. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? And so in in um and so in that case, what it did is it created a, a, a unique pacing that uh, kind of became his signature style after a while. Like that's kind of how uh, you hear a Morricone film is is it's like through. You know, here Morcora's score is, and with Sergio and with Leone's like visuals, he's he's letting the song and the and the visuals play out together. Um, it's interesting. I know nowadays, like some filmmakers will play this music on set. You know, um, mm. I know like Gun James Gunn's you know, pointed out plenty of times he's done that for his movies where, yeah, not just the Guardians, not just like the Guardian soundtrack because obviously you know those are just songs that everyone he those are songs that are existing. But he, uh, his composer for the Guardians movies, and I think even for Suicide Squad, he had them do the score, some of the big score pieces before filming starts, so they can play it on set, and then the actors can kind of get into the headspace of, no, oh, that's what the song is playing while you're cutting to us, you can kind of get the swagger down. I don't know if Leone did that, um, but if he had access and he had to find a way to, he, he had a, he had the song early and he and he had a and he had a way to play it on set. I could imagine him doing the same thing, you know, because I'm sure that helped informed some of the performances. Because it does seem like everybody knows that they have to stand here and just like 
build the tension up, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, especially given that it's pretty well known that he, uh, everything was dubbed, so he recorded without sound anyway. Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered if he was playing, somehow playing a song during a scene. Uh, he wouldn't have to worry about syncing it or anything. It would just, <laughs> because everyone had to dub their voices later anyway. <laughs> can, can, can I, I point do... out, Andrew, as a yeah. filmmaker, that, that that to me sounds like madness doing it that Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just, <laughs> just, like, I, which I, there's a part of me that, like, because I hate recording audio while filming because it's such mm-hmm. like a time, it's a time-consuming thing. I, it has to be good. But it always takes time to make sure the audio is recording correctly. The idea is just go shoot it, just shoot, just shoot, just shoot, and then like, you know, just so you can get the shots done is 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 tempting in one regard. But then to go, okay, now everyone try to recreate recreate your performances of that day in the mic while watching. The footage. Well, the funny the funny thing is, you know, I I I also have always enjoyed the story that. On Leone's sets, sometimes the actors would just be acting in whatever their native language was, whether or not they could understand each other. And that was very apparent in several scenes. (laughs) And I can only imagine, like, you know, sitting there, you know, watching this play out where one person is speaking English and then the next person starts speaking German and then the next, (laughs) and then it's back to English. And it's as if they're having a conversation, sure, but neither of them truly knows what the other is saying. They're just going off of, you know, the script beats, perhaps. Right, uh, right. It must have been a really wild time. Uh, well, so. like, Leone didn't speak English and Eastwood didn't speak Italian, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's already a challenge in and of itself, and the fact that they made three, two more films after this, you know... <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, we didn't get to talk about this very much in Yojimbo, but I, I kind of want to bring it up here because I think it, it. this is a case where it. I feel like they both seem to get it, but I really do love the relationship between uh, San Giorno and the bartender, and yet mm. also the relationship here with the man with no name and the bartender. I think they're both strangely effective. I think they both work very well even if the tones are slightly different but there is something kind of interesting about the fact that like the bartender relationship with our kind of wandering gunman slash swordman is is entertaining in both films i think they both really work very very well um and i'm yeah i'm, I'm kind of just sort of surprised by that i really like the performance of the uh of the actor i'm trying to remember his name at the moment um but it also understood that the, the that relationship is important to the movie. The man in the mo- no name needs that character to exist so he can understand where his place is, but also has someone to help him when the events happen the same exact way. He also gets caught. He also gets beaten up to the to a bloody pulp, um, and he also needs to escape and and get help to get healed up before he can come back into town and finish the job. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's, the, yeah. The, the the added thing in this one is involving a double cross on a chest of gold and Mexican soldiers. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to have to, you know, uh, go beat by beat on it, but it is like an that is like a completely added thing yes. for this movie. Yeah, that doesn't 
I, I don't think it takes from anything of Yojimbo, but it's weird how they managed to do that so early in this movie and then come right back into the plot of Yojimbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really... It doesn't really get played. That, that stuff's not really played again after that bit, is, does it? It's, uh, it's, no, because yeah. it, it's, it's part of a setup to make sure the two sides are fighting, and then yeah. it sets up the um, the kidnapping and exchange of prisoners. Yeah, like it's just it 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 it's like a shortcut right through, <laughs> like so much of Yojimbo, but they're still like both of these movies are about the same length. You know, like yeah. it, it's not like they're losing anything. No, nope. it's adding in a whole new thing, having it take up enough enough time, and then adding more things as they go on, mm-hmm. so that it's not you know the movie doesn't feel empty it's just like uh we have this very different thing early on in the movie and then the rest of the movie is yeah we again we just follow a lot of the same plot beats of your (laughs) jimbo yeah until we get to the yeah until we get to the to the end where you know this is this is something i do want to bring up yes while your jimbo um you know uh, the the way he defeats uh, the gunman is just by you know by by surprising him with throwing a knife that, that we point out is really great because it was established quite literally the scene before as something he can do. But this is one of those things where the, the ending here is iconic for its own reason. It, this is another one of those cases where it's like this ending was either parodied uh, or, uh, or repeated or, or homaged in other things. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically one I could think of uh, was back to the future part three. Of course. Um, and uh but this is i again i find it fascinating because it, here's the thing right like you one thing you know the point as you pointed out like one of the things of upping the stakes with a swordsman is to challenge a swordsman with a gunman um here though when you live in a world where everyone's a gunman so how do we challenge a gunman well okay a slightly bigger gun you know a right well as 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 ramon says if you know, in the fight between a man with a pistol and a man with a rifle, the rifle will always win. Yeah. So it's, so it's good. you know, it's a there's a big setup here where yeah. it is, you know, it, it is difficult to beat him. Mm-hmm. And there's the other part of the setup, which is that he has this, this uh, suit of armor that he practices on. Mm-hmm. And that kind mm-hmm. of inspires uh, the man with no name at the end on how... Yeah. He can not die from this rifle. <laughs> it's a really good setup, I'll admit. Mm-hmm. It's in a, and it's interesting because it's not like it's it's a good setup in a way that's different from like it was really good setting up the knife in in Yojimbo. Here, this was actually established really early on, like you said. So what's kind of cool about that is it is the man with no name assessing like okay, the rifle can go through metal like this. But when he's now healing and he's trying to figure out his next step, and he knows that Ramon has a rifle, he's finding other metals that he that you that he you realize he's finding other metals that's in his that is in reach of him that he could use that could possibly deflect Ramon's shots. And again, it's a case where you see him working on something. You don't really quite know what it is at first. You don't really know how that's going to play in. Um, and I think there is something. Because here, okay, in Yojimbo, when he throws a knife and he sh- you know, and he gets him in the in the arm before he can shoot, it's very fast and very visceral, and like it's over. 
I kind of love the drama that he's dragging out every time he gets shot and he doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the other, that was the other thing that um, Ramon had said. He aims for the heart. Yes. That's so good. So that said it's that. almost, yeah, it's almost like he, he's basically saying like, I will not try to shoot you anywhere else. <laughs> so cover it's, your heart. So he did. <laughs> it's such a good, it's such a good setup because that means one, the man in no name knows he can. Okay. So, aim here just make sure he shoots here because he, he says he only shoots here and it's also good for us the audience because uh someone's gonna won't have to easily go why does he shoot him in the head mm-hmm. because ramon is kind of stubborn he's gonna keep trying but also he's in shock because why is he still alive so he's gonna keep trying mm-hmm. because his pride is i shoot for the heart that's his pride and the man with no name is like f your pride <laughs> yeah they and they have this he he makes sure that he fires all of his bullets and then he reveals mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's really that's like that's such a power move like that is such a <laughs> like oh my god like i can't believe you know that that's the way that he's gonna do it but it's it's so like cool it's it's one of those things where again it's like it's so funny. This movie isn't, again, this movie wasn't officially, it wasn't an officially approved by Toho and, and Kurosawa remake of of their, of their Yojimbo, but yet it's a film that I feel like, God, you do all the right changes, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like, none of the changes feel, like, superfluous or, like, adding extra BS or et cetera. It's like, no, these, these changes don't necessarily make it, better than Yojimbo, but these changes make it feel like it's your movie. You know? Um, like, here's the thing, right? Like, like Kurosawa did say that he saw the film, and he's like, it's a good movie, but I made that movie. And in a way, <laughs> yes and no. It's like, yeah, it's your story, and essentially it's a lot of your characters, and it's a lot of your guys' script, even, with dialogues and, and structure. But this there there's a lot of leone in this movie there's a lot of clint in this movie there's a lot of marcon and everyone else that's not just carbon copying yojimbo there's there's a lot in here that i feel like yeah this does stand on its own as a literally really good western as a really good like movie in its own regard that's different as of, of a good film as yojimbo and i think yeah, you can recognize what was originally in Yojimbo, but then, like, the drama of this sequence with Ramon shooting the man with no name in the chest while he has his plate of armor, there's no sequ- That sequence wasn't in Yojimbo the way it's played out here. It's a completely different take. It's a very... it's it, The drama is different. The excitement is, is different. The payoff is different. Um, it doesn't go there in the same way as it did Yojimbo. I would argue this is what you do when you take a when you decide to remake a movie, it's like you see potential in the story, but you have your own take on it. You have your own way of approaching it and your own vision, but you see the potential of the story that you see the other angles you can, you can add and subtract and rework, but know what made that story work in the first place. You know? Yeah. No one would ever watch Yojimbo and then watch a fistful of dollars and say, oh, well, that's nothing new. 
Please rate and review Nothing New, a remake podcast on your podcast app. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Nothing New Pod. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nothing new. Nothing New, a remake podcast is part of the Benview Network. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at benviewnetwork.com.